Welcome listeners to another episode of the Premium Investment Leader Series podcast. This program is brought to you by Premium, one of Australia's leading investment platforms. We bring to you a thought leaders from around the investment and funds management industry, and today's program will focus on responsible investing. Whilst there's been a growing trend in recent years, a number of natural disasters has brought this into the forefront of for investors' minds. In today's podcast, we'll talk about ESG research on companies and how Premium has incorporated this into our platform to allow investors to tailor their portfolios for their own specific ethics and values. Today, we have Marco Sepulveda, who is Senior Associate with Sustainalytics. Marco has worked with a number of companies and government agencies as a sustainability analyst and now applies his experience in this space to deliver ESG research solutions to a range of users. He has a Master of Environmental Science and a Bachelor of Commerce from the University of Queensland. Marco, welcome to the program. Thank you, Damien. Good to be here. Thanks. Before we get uh, into it, I uh, was looking you up and I saw on your work history that you worked as a sustainability advisor for the uh, Port of uh, Gladstone there in Queensland. It's one of the largest uh, shipping ports for minerals in the world. Uh, that would have attracted a lot of uh, public scrutiny and kept you very busy. So what was uh, some of the highlights of working there? Uh, so that's an interesting question. Like, good old days. So. Uh, I was actually the first sustainability advisor that the ports ever had. So it was uh, definitely an interesting experience. Um, the highlights would have been, you know, creating the sustainability policy, energy and climate policy. Um, as you've mentioned, uh, highly sensitive uh, environment, highly scrutinized industry. So, you know, there was a lot of work being done in terms of, um, you know, marine safety and, and habitat protection, uh, air quality controls, uh, energy efficiency management and, and uh, investments programs, uh, a lot of um, fuel efficiency programs in place given the, the fleet of uh, heavy machinery mm -hmm. uh, that the port operated. Uh, and we're also going through a, a bit of an expansion a few expansion projects uh, that uh, pose uh, some uh, challenges as well. But overall, uh, uh, significant learnings and, and progress uh, done uh, at the ports. So I, I'd say those were valuable experiences that uh, we can now share with um, our institutional clients. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful background and it would have been an amazing experience, especially being the first one of breaking ground there, if you will, uh, for sustainability. So that's... Uh, it's wonderful uh, background that you can bring into, into your current role. So now getting uh, into your current role, uh, you're working at uh, Sustainal uh, Sustainalytics. Um, so ESG research, it's becoming more and more prominent and now a real uh, significant part of our investment industry. Um, so just give us a bit of background on uh, Sustainalytics and tell us about the history of the group. Absolutely. So Sustainalytics was founded almost 30 years ago. And we're currently the largest independent provider of ESG research. We have, I think our headcount is currently sitting at around 750 with over half of the team dedicated exclusively to, to research. Wow. Um, we have 17 offices globally here in Sydney, here in Australia. We're based in Sydney. We're a team of, of soon to be seven. And the reason why we have such a widespread office uh, presence uh, and large uh, client team is to make sure that our uh, research is contextualized for our um, local clients to make sure that that's uh, 
those insights are, are contextualized and relevant uh, for our um, local clients and our global clients as well. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, now you've got 350 research analysts, so you can cover a lot of research with that. Um, I understand you do coverage over about 16,000 companies. But you tell us about the kind of specific layers of research that you do, because there's a lot of nuanced work that I imagine you're doing for uh, different uh, users. We have uh, different research uh, types. And depending on, on that research type, that kind of drives the, the research process and, and, and agenda. But broadly speaking, uh, we conduct uh, ongoing research on ESG, which is our flagship research type. And we also conduct research on uh, product involvement, which is um, the, the work that we've uh, started doing with Premium recently. And the product involvement research process entails uh, and uh, a review of uh, 26 different types of activities that businesses can be involved in, which investors might be sensitive to and want to screen out. And the, the, the update cycle is effectively we have a, a, a product involvement research team that's looking exclusively at whether companies are involved in these 26 activities, which include aspects like cannabis, gambling, controversial weapons, tobacco, fossil fuels, etc. And it's an annual research process uh, that's adjusted uh, on a quarterly basis based on uh, index rebalancing and uh, taking into consideration corporate activity like mergers and acquisitions and, and the like. Yep, no, no, very good. And so as you touched on, uh, Premium has recently integrated uh, your, your research into the platform, uh, specifically that product uh, involvement research, which we did a, a lot of work on and were quite impressed by uh, the, the breadth of coverage and uh, how that all works. Um, so can you tell us about specifically on the, the product involvement research, your research process and, and how investors can incorporate that to tailor their own ethics and spe uh, specific values? Absolutely. So at the essence, the product involvement research is looking at, at two things. The first, whether there is uh, any involvement in these activities. And the second is, if there is involvement, uh, how much revenue is actually generated uh, from uh, involvement. So involvement can be direct or indirect. So for example, if we're looking at uh, something like tobacco, we can be looking directly at uh, tobacco manufacturers or indirectly at uh, uh, companies that, for example, supply the uh, rolling papers for tobacco manufacturers. Yeah. So we're looking at direct and indirect involvement. Uh, and we uh, are identifying how much revenue is derived from uh, these uh, activities. Mm -hmm. And effectively, to give you a sense of what the revenue ranges look like, um, they start obviously from zero, and they go from zero to five, five to 10, uh, 10 to uh, 25, 25, 50, 50 to 100. Yep. And effectively, what the research enables our clients to do is identify the amount of revenue that the company generates from this specific activity. And depending on the values and beliefs uh, and strategies of the clients to actually screen out uh, companies uh, depending on the level of comfort that uh, they have with that particular activity. Yep. So maybe just to give you a bit of a ballpark, uh, ballpark figures, uh, tobacco is uh, one that our clients are highly sensitive to. So generally speaking, there is zero tolerance uh, to tobacco. Uh, there's other screens like uh, adult entertainment, which which is a bit more. There, there's a bit more flexibility, yep. just in case, just uh, from the perspective of um, you know understanding who's exposed to it. So, uh, as an example, uh, hotel groups are exposed to it, given that they 
uh, effectively sell the pos the possibility of uh, you know paying to oh, view oh, adult yeah, entertainment. Well. So yeah, 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 you know hotel. if you set yeah. the screen at zero percent tolerance, you'd be yeah. screening out these types of yeah. of businesses. So pay, pay TV operators exactly, would be another one. Exactly so, right. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, there is uh, you know some nuances in setting these ranges, but. That's how our clients yeah, are using them. Fair enough. And uh, getting back to um, the on the research process, I imagine uh, it'd be uh, anal analyzing company accounts. That would be uh, the best way uh, to to do that. Um, there wouldn't be too much forecasting work. It'd be off actual. I'm assuming uh, as all the half yearlies and quarterlies come out, and then you can update uh, your research that way. There. Yeah, that's exactly right. So. Um for companies that actually report explicitly how much revenue they generate from a particular activity, yep. that uh, revenue percentage is provided as a, as a discrete figure. Yep. For companies that don't report specifically on uh, revenue generated from the, the activity, we provide be, an estimation. It, it so, might be clustered together exactly and right. sometimes very difficult to break down. Exactly yeah, right. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, our, our research team are, are specialists on this, so they, they can provide estimations on, you know, where that, where that revenue uh, generation would sit. Yeah. And I imagine you, you'd need to have a lot of ongoing dialogue as well, or some dialogue with uh, companies to actually gain clarification on uh, some of these things. So through our um, different research processes, we actually have dialogue uh, with the companies that we cover, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So getting on uh, specifically now, um, as uh, we, we mentioned earlier, Premium's uh, launched an ESG um, product involvement screening uh, service. We're allowing investors by the click of a button to input their own specific values over their portfolios. Um, so we have nine categories uh, that we've uh, looked at there. Um, we, we expect uh, that there'd be one or two is the typical um, usage that we've seen from people, not necessarily all nine, um, because everyone's ethics are different. Uh, but you'd like to uh, just kind of talk through uh, the nine uh, filtered uh, themes, if you will, that are um, in the, the first launch of uh, this, this service. Yeah, look, ab absolutely. Um, so just listing them here is um, animal testing, alcohol, gambling, adult entertainment, uh, tobacco, controversial weapons, uh, and, and a handful of... Um, fossil fuel screens that I believe we'll be discussing later. Uh, and look, broadly speaking, they're, they're relatively self-explanatory. You know, when, when we're looking at uh, alcohol, we're looking at, you know, who produces uh, alcohol beverages, uh, who's distributing, gambling, you know, relatively straightforward, who, who are, you know, the, the companies exposed to these activities, who are the companies that are manufacturing the, the pokies machines, et cetera, et cetera. I, I get, we've, we've spoken about adult entertainment and, and tobacco as well. And look, controversial weapons is, is a delicate one that is looking at companies that are actually involved in manufacture and, and distribution of, of weapons that are uh, disproportionate impacts on uh, on humans, so yep. um, that's that's also a very common screen that's used by our, our clients. Yeah, and I imagine with, with a lot of Australian companies, uh, you know, we'll talk on the the CO two and the fossil later. But in terms of uh, say tobacco, there's not too much uh, direct uh, tobacco stuff in Australia, or um, you know, controversial weapons. But offshore, there is. 
and uh, we're seeing a, a lot more portfolios of people investing offshore. So it does become quite significant where there are a lot of tobacco companies, for example, listed in the US and uh, it, it's it's a big part of our global investing, definitely. But we were talking about our materiality before. I think that's one element, you know, direct and indirect. Um, so these are some of the permutations that do come through in this uh, product involvement uh, research. Uh, can you just kind of expand a little bit on uh, direct and indirect and uh, materiality as well? Um, and, you know, in some cases, uh, you know, we've been looking at this topic here. Zero does provide a lot of certainty and, and, and clarity on it, but it's sometimes it's, it's not as easy uh, to, to put that through. But so you run through some of the materiality uh, differences out there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as, as mentioned uh, earlier, the, the way that the research is conducted is looking at uh, both direct and indirect involvement and then looking at the degree of involvement. So really looking uh, you know, more deeply at how much revenue the company generates from these activities. Mm-hmm. And if effectively the way that it's used, you know, you, you've mentioned uh, a zero materiality can, can is relatively straight, straightforward to apply. It gives you some confidence in the fact that you know, your portfolio doesn't include these um, business activities. And I think that we, we can echo or, or agree with the fact that some of the screens that Premium has is, is taking on board actually are used in that way by investors. So, for example, screens like tobacco or controversial weapons, you know, are highly sensitive uh, topics where there's effectively zero tolerance yeah. uh, to exposure to, to these business activities. So that's the way that the majority of our clients are, are, are using that. And, uh, you know, when, when you get into the more nuanced ones of, on, you know, fossil fuels, which we can discuss later, or yeah. gambling and the like, there is some nuances that need to be considered in terms of what you feel comfortable including or not. Yes. Um, and I think that's the, the ability to uh, use those, you know, the different thresholds to, to understand the impact is, is uh probably a recommended approach. Yep, fair enough. And communication be the key and trying to uh, support this through and uh, with, um, you know, a lot of disclosure and clarity on it, I think would be uh, very important uh, going forward. When we talk about um, these uh, product involvement areas, um, they're they're such rich topics, we could probably do a podcast on each of them in their own right, because there's a lot going on. Uh, but I think it's worthwhile kind of delving into our fossil fuel in particular. And, and I think the way that we've approached it, and we had very good dialogue about this, was uh, to break up fossil fuels into three subcategories because it can be people will have different views on how they want to play this one here. Um, and so with the three subcategories, you know, we've done thermal coal, um, specifically oil sands and then oil and gas. So can you run through the differences across the three and probably what's driving people's attitudes in this space? Probably starting with thermal coal would probably be the, uh, the easiest one to go with. Yeah, look, that's, uh, that's a good question. And the reality is that there is recognition, there is increasing recognition of, uh, of climate risk and what that means in terms of exposure to fossil fuels. Having said that, there's uh, different interpretations of, of risk depending on the fossil fuel that you're talking about. Yeah. So, and that's why we've created that's, uh, those distinctions. So thermal uh, coal, for example, is generally viewed as, as you know, the l- least palatable in terms yeah. of you know, there's higher risk 
there's competing technologies, it's highly polluting. So that's a relatively straightforward one to that our clients are comfortable with uh, excluding to yeah, a certain and degree. And isolating in a way. And isolating in yeah. a way. Yeah. You know, when you look at oil and gas, uh, it gets a bit more nuanced uh, because, you know, there is a, a view on, you know, transition fuels. We can't, unfortunately, just, you know, Overnight. overnight go to uh, go to renewables so there is an understanding of um, of one transition fuels but when you're looking more specifically uh, to oil uh, the fact that you know it's it's has widespread uses beyond uh, just fuel uh, generation. Of course, within plastics as well too. exactly and right when you think about plastics are you know a lightweight uh, kind of material that can also make other like cars even say more fuel efficient because they're lighter as a material so you kind of look at that element as exactly well. Exactly right. And then oil sands um, is is interesting, and and the reason why we've there's there's a distinction there is because the extractive process of oil sands is actually uh, very uh, polluting. Yep. And therefore, there are some clients that have sensitivities to to the extraction process, and and that's why we've created that standalone screen. So whilst they might be comfortable with oil uh, more broadly. Uh, you know, unconventional methods of extraction and, and uh, particularly oil sands yeah. might not be uh, something that they yeah. want to be exposed to. And that, I suppose that's somewhat reflective of, uh, you know, project profitability in oil sands as well too, that because it's so intensive, the extraction process, that it only works at a barrel oil barrel price at elevated levels because there's so much more involvement going in to, to get it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, all sands as well. There's uh, not too much. Australia wouldn't have anything uh, by way of all sands. Where would one go to go and fight in oil sand projects? I'd say the epicenter of oil sands is in Canada. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, That's fair enough. The exposure would yeah. be. Yeah. But I think more broadly speaking, you know, when we talk about fossil fuels and we talk about climate risk, uh, you know, you, you see the trend headed in that direction. Uh, you know, so, so the drive to exclude fossil fuels comes from increasing understanding of risk and how then that's incorporated into uh, portfolios and yep. investment strategies. So there is regulatory pressure. Yes. So you see, you know, uh, ASIC and APRA talking openly about climate risk being foreseeable and predictable and how that should be factored in as part of, you know, fiduciary responsibilities. And that's from a regulatory perspective. But then you also see, uh, you know, from the from retail perspective, the fact that there is increasing discomfort uh, with being exposed to fossil fuels. Yeah. So there is a very strong momentum uh, into one understanding fossil fuel exposure and two understanding, you know, what the carbon risks of the portfolio are. And effectively, that leads to a conversation of how it can be improved. Yeah, correct. And and again, I think it's very front and center for, for Australian investors in particular, because as we touched on in terms of you know, a tobacco, there's nothing much really in Australia that uh, you're going to invest in that will have a, a huge impact from a tobacco point of view. But definitely in terms of uh, fossil fuel mining in Australia, it's far more prevalent. And I think, again, people are getting are talking about it a lot because they know it will be in, in Australian-based portfolios. We, we have a lot of it here. Absolutely. Uh, so. And just to add to that, um, you know, there is research that's been put out by the Responsible uh, Investment Association of Australasia, RIA, mm -hmm. looking at um, consumer preferences. 
Yep. And nine out of 10 Australians actually expect their super and other investments to be invested responsibly and, uh, and ethically, and 60% expect environmental issues to be factored in. So yep. I think this is only uh, headed in one direction. Yeah, no, very much. And we agree with that, hence uh, all, the, all the work that we're doing uh, in this space. So um, we've talked very much what, what we would call probably negative screening, if you will, um, that product involvement that uh, clients can take certain themes or uh, products uh, out of uh, their investment portfolios. Um, and that's probably a, a body of research that's been around for quite a while and a kind of an approach that's been around for quite a while. But now we're seeing more and more emphasis on uh, positive scoring as well. So it's probably worth, you know, touching onto uh, that piece there, kind of what you're doing in that positive scoring space and, and what it means for, for companies to kind of raise their, their scoring, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. As, as you know, it's, uh, the, the negative screening uh, approach and research has been in place for, for a long time. And there's an increasing interest and push from both institutional and retail investors to understand what the exposure of their portfolios is to positive themes effectively. So the way that we approach that is through our what we call sustainable products research. And what the research does is look at 12 social and environmental themes. Yep. So things like um, renewable energy, green buildings, energy efficiency, affordable housing, health. So some, some very positive social and environmental themes. And effectively, it's the same approach that we apply to our negative screening, which is looking at whether there is direct or indirect involvement in these 12 uh, thematics. And what's the degree of involvement in terms of how much revenue is generated from these positive thematics. And, and look, what we see is that from, from the institutional, uh, in the institutional space, the research is being used to understand uh, exposure and to start reporting on how portfolios yeah. are, are actually having this positive, positive impact. And uh, the more advanced uh, institutional investors are looking at uh, using this research to actually create uh, new uh, portfolios and funds that, that have that, uh, you know, as a, as a core strategy exposure to, the, to these uh, positive thematics. And from, from the retail side of things, what we see is that it has become a very powerful engagement approach to talk to clients about what they're really passionate and aligned to. So instead of having a negative conversation about what we don't want to be invested in, we're talking about things that actually matter to them yes. and how they can have a positive impact through their uh, investments. So from a retail uh, conversation and engagement uh, perspective, this has really um, empowered uh, advisors in having a, uh, a more nuanced uh, conversation that then generates uh, more stickiness with their clients. Yeah. So as we uh, head towards uh, the end of the program, uh, Marco, I'd like to ask you about you know, new trends uh, within ESG research. So many things in the investment industry, they cease to be static. Uh, new research technology attitudes, etc. So, what's something that people haven't been thinking about in particular that you're getting excited and starting to do some uh, interesting research on? Oh, look, that's uh, that's a good question, uh, Damien. And uh, I think that the reality is that ESG is is moving forward very fast, evolving very quickly, and that's just a reflection of you know very large uh, macro trends and, and societal shifts and uh, technological disruptions. 
And interestingly enough, we've just produced a thematic piece uh, called uh, 10 for 2020, where we look at you know, the, the 10 uh, key themes where we believe investors could uh, capture some upside on some new cool topics. So just to give you a sense of, of what uh, we're looking at in the reports, uh, we're looking at you know, the, the 5G revolution, which is really uh, driving that digital and technological space. Uh, we're looking at uh, industrial automation and, and robotics. We're looking at uh, connected medical devices. And uh, one that I particularly like uh, is we're looking at uh, the energy uh, storage, so batteries um, and the effect that they're going to have on the, on the utilities and, and energy sector. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that specifically is something that's, that investors should be paying close attention to, or the, at least that I'm paying very close attention to in terms of you know, converging technologies and, and uh, shifting cost curves that are allowing you know, batteries to become commercially viable. And that's uh, you know, also being driven by changes in uh, the automobile sector in terms of the growth of adoption of electric vehicles. And, and that's also hand-in-hand hand tied with other renewable energies and, and re- reduction in uh, cost of uh, you know, kilowatt-hour productions from solar and uh, wind energy. So I think there's been historical attention placed uh, in terms of climate risks. I think that there is some significant opportunities that can be captured on, on this space, on, yeah. on multiple uh, Still fronts. more to go on this. Marco, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you very much for coming in. This is a, a great topic. I imagine we're going to be speaking even more about this in the future. So once again, thanks for coming in, Marco. Thank you, Damien. Good to, good to be here. Mm-hmm.